All right, we'll turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. And I'm going to hate to do this to you, but stand one more time. We have to stand to honor the Word of God as we read it. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, 21 through 26 is our text this morning. Uh, next week I'll get uh, deep into the adoration of Christ um, in the Christmas story. Um, but today I want to uh, press on a little farther in the book of Philippians. It's hard to leave this two-part little series I'm doing right here. The Bible says this, verse 21 is our text, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. You may be seated. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are in heaven. That means you rule over all things. We thank you that you call us to heaven at the end of this life. By death or by rapture, you are taking us to be with you. It is the most glorious place we could ever, ever imagine. But Lord, we too, as Paul, look forward to the future, but also wrestle with what you have for us here today. So Lord, I pray that this message will strengthen us to follow you and what you have for us to accept your will, your sovereign plan for the lives of us individuals that make up the church. So Lord, thank you for the joy that comes from being obedient to you. And we experienced that this morning. We are so grateful, Lord, for sending Jesus, coming on to earth, taking that nature of man, being fully God, owning all things, creator of all things, but yet humbling yourself to take on man. Lord, there gives us so much joy to know that you would do that, to submit yourself to death for our part. And Lord, we praise you. It makes this season so much more joyful. It takes away the headaches of the busyness and all the stuff that often drags us away when we can be centered on you this morning. Father, give us joy in Jesus, in your son's name. Amen. I want to start this morning with um, a story about a missionary family. And it has so much to do with this text, and particularly with these first couple of verses here. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. There was a young couple named John and Betty Stem. Most of you would never ever hear of them and they would be a very hard couple to find to read on. They were raised um, in Christian homes and eventually felt the call to go to ministry desiring to teach the gospel in China. Um, this is in the 1930s. It's actually in the 20s they began to study for it. Um, you have to remember, Boxer Rebellion hit at the turn of the century, and they completely 
tried to wipe out all foreigners, particularly Christians, in China. And that had not ceased. China had become very communist, and there was a battle in China at this time. But John and Betty decided that they knew, individually, apart from each other, wanted to go and preach the gospel in China. They went to Moody Bible College in Chicago, and there they studied and prepared, and there their desires for China grew as they met one another. They knew God was doing something in their lives, but their goal to serve the Lord was greater. Betty graduated a year ahead of John, and she took off for China. John graduated, and his desire was to preach the gospel in China and be married to Betty. He sailed across the seas after his graduation. He sent a letter ahead asking Betty to marry him. The letter never got to her. She happened to be in Beijing when he landed there, and she had been sick. She had been living 100 miles from there, but was sent in to, to be nursed back to health. John was amazed how God worked that out, and that time he asked her to marry her. China Inland Mission at that time said that um, they had to wait a year to be married. It was part of their rules. So Betty was sent back out into the mission field. John was left in Beijing to study and learn the language and be able to preach in Chinese, Mandarin. After a year of studying hard and being apart, God brought them together and they were married in China. Beautiful couples decided that God wanted them to serve together, and they were quickly sent out to a providence within China. Shortly after a couple of years of their just getting going with their ministry, God blessed them with a little baby. Her name was Helen. And they were beginning to preach the gospel from these little communities to little communities. The communist movement was growing strong, and they were heading through each one of those villages. John and Betty had moved their little family into a community that had a wall around it, and there they began to preach the gospel, just got started in that community, and the communists showed up one morning. They marched into the city, and of course they found them very quickly. They were foreigners. And not only foreigners, they were Christians. They quickly grabbed them. Upon that, Betty knew what was happening. She grabbed the baby and they took them and locked them in a house while they could decide what to do with them. That night, they decided that the foreigners must be killed. Betty knew it was coming, took baby Helen, wrapped her in a sleeping bag and stuck her in a bunch of pillows in the corner of the building, hoping they would not find her. After a short improper trial, they drugged John and Betty out in front of all of the town and ran them through in front of each other with a sword. Ministry just got going. You'll never read about them because they didn't have a long ministry. They, they didn't have stories of years of preaching the gospel and people coming to know Christ. They were killed, which seems needlessly. There was one man named Evangelist Lowe. He had been working with them and there had been several people who had begun to try to accept the gospel. They were learning it and wanting to do it. And after the communists left and the bodies were laying there in the streets, Evangelist Lowe and a few other people came and got them and made some homemade coffins. And he called the townspeople out in front of their bodies as they laid there in these homemade coffins. And he said this to them, You have seen these wounded bodies and you pity these foreigners for their suffering and death. 
but you should know that they are children of God. Their spirits are unharmed and at this minute are in the presence of God Almighty. They came to China, not for themselves, but for you, to tell you about God and his son and the love that he has for you, that you might believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved eternally. And you have heard this message Remember it is true, their death proves it. Do not forget what they told you. Repent and believe the gospel. It's an amazing story. I just came across it just a couple of weeks ago. It was short. Their life was so short. They, they dedicated everything towards going to China to preach the gospel and they never really got to do it. They were murdered. That brings me to the text. Verse 21 says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Think about that. It doesn't have any time frame in that verse. Some, God asked for the ultimate sacrifice. I want you to give your life for me. There's more to the story. Um, John and Betty, it was said by Evangelist Lowe that right before their death, John spoke to the executioner. Nobody knows what they said. But the evangelist said, I know he shared the gospel with him. They died with joy, the evangelist said. See, to live is Christ. To die is gain. See, that is what Paul is after as he preaches this message to us in the church of Philippi. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Paul himself did not know what he was going to be up against. He's in jail. He's, he's under house arrest. He is chained to guards. So he can say, hey, to live, if God wants me to go on living, it is about Christ. If he wants me to die, it is great gain. He can say that. Look with me over to chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. We'll get to this text eventually, but I want you to see the thought process going through Paul's mind. Verse 17 says, But if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, let me stop right there. He is using extremely beautiful Old Testament pictures here. A drink offering in the Old Testament was they got the altar extremely hot, they got it red hot, and then they took new wine and they poured it over it, and when that wine hit that red hot altar, it, it it's just, uh, what's the word I want? Went up in steam. It vaporized, and it was an offering to the Lord. We give you our new wine. We believe this is going to you. So Paul uses a term, he says, but if I am being poured out, that means if it's all over, if this is it, if this is as far as I go as a Christian, I'm pouring myself out as a drink offering and a sacrifice and service for your faith. Notice the rest of the verse, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. It's a joy to be poured out. And I think John and Betty's stems, though we will never probably have great volumes of book written about them because there wasn't much to write about as far as ministry-wise, they poured their lives out. And who knows 
of those who will see in heaven someday because those, t- those poured them out. Look at verse 18, you too. Now, I like when Paul does this. He'll often speak of himself, his relationship with the gospel, the things that God has called him, but he also uses these adverse conjunctions, you too, I urge you. Rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. See, here Paul is at that point where he says, I don't know if this is it. I don't know. But I have a lot of joy in sharing the gospel with you. Hold your finger there, but turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We'll speed up a number of years here now. Paul was released from prison at that time but was soon bound again by Nero himself and was, after this writing, executed. But I want you to see 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. I want to see, show you the difference here in, in the phrase that he writes. In Philippians 2, he said, if I am being poured out, notice in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, he says, for I am being poured out as a drink offering in the time of my departure is what? That hand has come. See, he knew. There's a point in his life he doesn't know, and that probably fits us more, right? <laughs> we're, we're, Lord, I, if you want me to continue, Lord, I want to do this for your sake, for your joy, for your glory. Notice, he says, as verse seven goes on, and I hope we can say this someday, when our time comes to that point, when that drink offering is poured out, there is nothing left to pour on the altar of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope we can say this, I have fought the good fight. And brothers and sisters, it is a fight. And if you don't know it's a fight, you're probably not saved. But notice what kind of fight it is. It is a good fight. Oh, it's the best fight you can ever be in. And I'm telling you, it's a knockdown, dragged, bloody knuckles fight sometimes to live for Jesus in this world. It's not easy. It affects your marriage, you're raising your children, it it affects your job, it affects everything when you follow Jesus. But Paul says, I have fought that good fight, I have finished that course. He ran through the tape. He didn't let up at the end. Do you want to run all the way through the tape? Man, I want to run through the tape. I don't want to just come up short and kind of let up and somebody pass me right at the end like they do in track. Run through the tape. And then he says, I've kept the faith. There, was a, there is a faith given to you. It is granted to you. It's, it's, it's been given in confidence to you. God has blessed you with this. Keep it. Hold it secure. And he says, in the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Boy, we could all say that probably about Paul. But notice what he does, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award on me on that day, but not only me, but also to all who, now look at this, have loved his appearing. That's the defining difference. True Christians get to the point where they can't wait to be with Jesus. That's what happens to us. The more we run the race, the more we fight the fight, the more we keep the faith, the more we long for the face of Jesus. I know there are young people in here, it's a little harder sometimes. You want to get married, you want to do some stuff, you you think you need this, and, and we've been there, right? As adults, we've been there. 
but we know the pursuit of Christ brings a longing for the presence of Jesus. And that's a lot what this text is about as you flip back to Philippians chapter one. It's about longing for the Lord Jesus Christ. I have a couple of short thoughts this morning. The joy of the gift of life is Christ. The joy of the gift of life in Christ, verse 21. For me, Paul says, to live is Christ. To die is gain. See, the gift of life is precious to the believer because it does not merely represent just an earthly agenda, but an agenda on the earth. Did you catch that? Our lives don't just represent an earthly agenda, but an agenda while on the earth. Is that too deep or did you catch that? Because there's always these earthly agendas coming to us, but we as believers say, no, that is not my agenda. My agenda is not earthly, but I do have an agenda on the earth to live as Christ. To live is Christ. Keep your finger there. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with me. There's so many ways this statement is written out, particularly by Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Familiar verses here. Verse 14 says, for the love of Christ controls us or compels, your Bible might say, us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. Now look at, did you hear that? So that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, that's Jesus, who died and rose on their behalf. So that's not an earthly agenda. That's our agenda on earth. Does that make sense? There's a difference there. And Paul was absolutely resolved in every facet of his life to be consumed with a pleasing God-honoring role in his life. And he pleads with the church over and over in in every epistle that he writes to have a God-honoring agenda on this earth in all that you do. He says he's confident. Back in chapter one, verse six of Philippians, we said, for I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work and you will perfect it. He's gonna bring it about into the day of Jesus Christ. He's confident of his love for he says the love of Christ compels me, controls me, it grips me. The love of Christ drives this agenda on this earth. See, see there's a danger when you just let people who vocationally do ministry do all this stuff. It's a, it's a dying church when that happens. When we, together as the body of Christ, together are compelled, are driven, are gripped by the love of Christ that he would do such for me, oh, amazing things happen with us. Things get reformed. Everything from marriage to ministry gets reformed. See, Paul says this is what it means to live for Christ. Paul's service was reformed for Christ. He used to be those who chased down Christians. Now he says this in 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Passive, present tense. He took me, put me into service for him. That's what he does with you and I. You no longer have an agenda driven by the earth you now have agenda given, 
now to live out on the earth. He gives us service for him. Paul's preaching, his witness, his devotion was all about Christ. He said, for I'm determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ in him crucified. Last week we saw in 2 Timothy 2.10, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so they may attain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 9.16, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. See, to live is Christ. That's how Paul understood it. Even in persecution, And imprisonment, verse 13 says, my imprisonment is in the cause of Christ. Well, that's Apostle Paul. You go, come on, Scott. I mean, there's Apostle Paul, you know, then there's me. We kind of think that way, don't we? But that's not true. That's not how God looks at us. He, He looks at us equal, so let's think about what that looks like in our life. What does that look like about us? We're we're not the great apostle Paul, we're just little old me. How does little old me Fulfill this statement to live is Christ. We put thought towards that. Let me give you just four thoughts to help you fulfill this to live is Christ. Because it's a big verse, although it's very short, it's a big verse. I, 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 I thought this week, I said, Lord, I could just preach the rest of the, my lifetime on this verse to live as Christ, to die as gain. But, but I wanted to sum it up. I wanted to give us some hard facts and thoughts that you and I could write down and say, okay, I want to live as Christ, so, so how do I do that? Well, keep your finger there. I want to give you a, a, a little set of verses as um, a guideline. Maybe one you want to write down and keep, keep with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 4. I'm going to read this text, and then I'm going to give you four things that will kind of come out of this text and out of Philippians 1 that will help us understand what it means to live is Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you also stand. Strong language in that first verse. By which also you, you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. That's a scary verse. Three, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also receive, that Christ Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, just out of that text right there, let me give you four things to help you and myself understand to live is Christ, how to, how to live that out. Number one is know the gospel. Write that down. Know the gospel. Verse 1 tells us several things into it. The gospel which, you, which I preached to you. So listen to it. The gospel which you also received. Notice in verse 1. Listen to it. And there's a difference. There's, there's more than just being a listener. The Bible says just don't be a hearer only, but be a doer, right? So many people listen to sermons. They listen to the Bible. They listen to Caleb. They listen to all this stuff but they'll never receive it. It strikes me, someone said this week, it's fascinating of all the great singers we have in the world, they'll sing songs like, Oh Holy Night this season and not have a clue what it means. Because it's cool to have a Christmas album. And yet they'll sing, What child is this? and never receive it. 
See, there's a big difference between being just a hearer. So I am telling you, know the gospel. Listen to it. Receive it. Notice the first verse says, stand upon it. Verse 2, hold it fast. Know the gospel. Do you know the gospel? If I asked you after church, tell me the gospel. Everybody's going to run out of here. You watch. Um, I want you to be able to say, here is the gospel. Do you know it? So many of us lack joy because we don't know the gospel. Know the gospel. Know what it is. Know you're in desperate need as a sinner. Know sin. Understand sin. So you need a savior. The reason that the, what child is this is not important to some country singer is because they had not seen themselves as a sinner. You're a sinner and you know that the wages of sin is death. What child is this is an amazing song. Because you go, Oh man, I needed that child. I needed that child. I needed him to come to earth, live a sinless life, and pay my debt. Oh, I needed that child. See, know the gospel. Number two, believe you can have victory over sin. Number two, this is the way you live in Christ, live as Christ. Believe you have victory over sin. Notice verse three says, Christ came for our sins. He died for our, O-U-R, personal pronoun, sins. He raised him on the third day. That means that Jesus beat sin. Means that there's nothing in your life that he cannot beat, that he cannot overcome. Too many Christians believe that there's salvation and I get set into Jesus, but then the rest of my life is spent struggling with these issues. Or the Bible doesn't have all, the Bible has an answer to get me into heaven, but it doesn't have answers for the daily stuff. See, believe you can have victory over sin. It's, it's, this is the way we say it theologically. Believe in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. It's not only salvation that we look to the sufficiency of Christ in, it's salvation in Christ that we find daily rescue in. Anybody have any sins they don't like in their life? I got a couple. They nag and gnaw at me and I hate them. The way to find victory is believe that Jesus can give you victory through that. It isn't run to the world to some therapist who, who is on his way to hell himself to tell you how to have victory over sin. Christ solves these issues. Romans chapter six, look at this with me real quick. Romans chapter six, verse 12. You get there, I'll start reading. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you, you must obey its lust. Paul says, we've got to deal with sin. He's talking to believers here. He's now into the believer section of Romans. Chapter 6 starts the discipleship aspect of Romans. He says, don't let sin reign. Literally is the word reign not as, it's used to kings, but it's also used to horses. Don't let reign. I spent half my life on the back of a horse. You need a set of reins to make that horse do what you want it to do. Don't let that sin reign pull you where you don't want to go. 
And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not be master over you. For you are not, look at this, you're not under law, but you're under grace. What shall we say then? Shall sin, shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace may it never be? So there's this great release from the captivity of sin. The difference between believers and unbelievers when it comes to sin is this. The unbeliever is still bound. He's enslaved to it. If sin says, unbeliever, go here. Over there they go. Right? They're chained. Unbeliever doesn't have to do that. We can say, Lord, I am no longer chained to that. I believe I can have victory over this through you, Lord. I can submit to you. I can do things your way versus my way. And when it pulls, because it will pull, you say, no, Jesus died for that. I don't want to participate in that any longer. That caused my Savior's death. And I want to say no to sin through Jesus Christ. See, this is what it means to live is Christ. That's a, that's a term we hear all the time. We sing about it. It's, it's a great verse. But what does it mean? It means that God gives you victory to not live sin out any longer. Three, believe the Bible to be the infallible and errant word of God. Notice back in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3 and 4, he says it twice, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures. Twice he says that. According to the scriptures. Paul says, all of this is true because of the scriptures, not because I'm saying it. According to the scriptures. Do you believe your Bible? You say, oh yeah, I believe my Bible. Really? Do you believe all of it? Because a lot of the church isn't believing all of it anymore. We, well, we can't really go down that line on marriage anymore. That's just not going to work with society. That's too old school. Oh, role of men and women that, you know, that doesn't really work. Raising children, Dr. Spock had it right in the 70s. I know that just went over half the congregation's head, but (laughs) it's not the guy that does this. There was another guy. The guy that did this might have been better, but anyway. I transgress. Colossians 3, 16 says, let the word of Christ, what? Richly dwell within you. Say, Scott, I want to live as Christ. I want to be that man, that woman, that child in here. Let the scriptures richly dwell in you. Read your Bible. Believe your Bible. Memorize your Bible. Say, Lord, this year I want to read through the Bible. I want to read through the New Testament. I want to read through the Gospels. Find something that daily takes you into the Word of God and you don't just read it to check it off. You go, oh, that was good. I got to spend a half an hour with the Almighty in His Word today. You'll start being able to say to live as Christ. So you have to know Christ in order to live Christ. So believe, believe the Bible. It's infallible. 
It's without error. It's inerrant. It's the word of God. Fourth and last here, give your life to him over and over. You go, wait a minute, Scott. Are you teaching loss of salvation? Absolutely not. I am teaching reality. You and I have to, on a daily basis, say, Lord, here it is again. Yesterday, I took it back. I decided that my will was better than yours. So, Lord, I am confessing what I did was godless. It was not part of your will. I chose to live independent of you for a little while. Does this make sense to anybody? Or is it just me? I saw a hand back there. Thank you, brother. (laughs) Give yourself to the Lord Jesus over and over and over. Let's be real. Being a Christian is hard. We have to fight our flesh, the seat of sinfulness that um, has been forgiven but still has residue within us, right? We have to fight that. It doesn't like that you don't belong to it anymore and he's fighting for it back all the time. Don't, don't, don't be um, ignorant to the power of flesh. It loves darkness. And its darkness grows if we don't live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking ability to be saved again in any way. We believe that once God saves you, he eternally secures you. The Bible is clear on that. But we do talk about a progression in our Christian life. We do talk about that there is honesty here of being renewed. I love Ephesians 4.23. It says this, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The word renewed is a, passive, a present passive infinitive, which means that this is something that has to happen to us all the time. We need to be constantly being renewed in the spirit of our mind. Oh Lord, I want this mind and this heart to belong to you. Will you help me today? This is, this is stuff. This is where J. Vernon McGee said, this is where the rubber meets the road, man. This is marriage and raising kids and having a job and paying bills and trying to honor the Lord with who we are because he's worth it. See, salvation is instantaneous, but to live is Christ is a progression. It's a progression. It takes dying to self. And I'd ask you the question this morning, where are you in this progression? I think every one of us that know Jesus Christ in this room would love to say to live is Christ. But when we're honest, we'll say, well, that wasn't last week. So we learn to say, Lord, these things are sin. I want to die to them. My mentor who raised me in the ministry said, Scott, teach them that if it's sin and they'll call it sin, there is good news because Jesus died for sin. If you blame shift it to somebody else, good luck. Deal with your own sin. Call sin, sin. Call on Jesus. He is powerful. He can overcome your worst problems. He did it on the cross. To him to live is is Christ. Go back to our text in Philippians chapter 1. You can see how verse 21 is just monumental to us as Christians. 
Second thought, the joy of faithful labor for the glory of Christ, verse 22. But if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful labor for me, and, and, I, will, and, I, and I do not know which to choose. <laughs> Can you imagine his position here? God has let him see the third heaven, not, not just the world here in its atmosphere, not just the, the stars and planets, but he's let him look into the residence of God. And he says in here that if I go on to live in this flesh, and the word flesh here is not the seed of sinfulness that we were just talking about. It means just physical life here as he uses the word here. It means fruitful labor, but he says, I don't know what to choose. And the only reason he can say that is because God said, here's what heaven looks like. Here's what earth looks like. What a wrestling he must have had. See, those who desire to live in, live is Christ, those who desire that statement to live as Christ are those growing in their commitment to the advancement of the kingdom of God by living out Christ daily. You can see this wrestling with him here. Here he is, is the most amazing thing. He says, fruitful labor is the work of the Lord. Notice he says, for me to stay here, to live on in this physical life, means fruitful labor. It's a beautiful term. It means God's going to produce something. And fruitful labor, the way it's used here, is a term that it produces, produce, <laughs> produces the gospel. It produces the beauty of Christ. It's something the spirit comes along forth. He says, look, if I stay here, this is going to mean fruitful labor for me. He wants to see people love the Lord Jesus. He wants marriages reformed. He wants children raised in the faith. He wants um, men and women on the job to present Christ and to live in such a way where they say, hey, are you a Christian? Is there something different about you that I've seen and I want it? See, he wants that to happen. Book of Colossians, as he starts out Colossians chapter one, verse five, he says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard of the word of truth, the gospel, which also comes to you just as in the world, also as a constant bearing fruit and increasing. Verse 10, he says it again, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, look at this, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing. See, the goal, if the Lord does not take us home today, is to be fruitful. You've heard me say this before, but what do people say when they come along our tree? Anything hanging on it? Anything that tastes like Jesus? Or do you got an old shriveled up piece of fruit left over from last year's Easter season? What's there? Is Christ producing fruit in me? Is there something there that people take? And, 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 and we have to be careful here because we go, man, I gotta go be fruitful this week. No, you don't. You need to love Jesus and he'll produce the fruit. We have verses, right? Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God did what? Prepared in advance so we may walk in them. Walk with Jesus and he'll make you fruitful. You don't have to go, oh, man, I've got to become a preacher. It's the only way I'm going to be fruitful. I've got to go to the Sunday school program. No. Love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Surrender to him. Know the gospel. Believe the Bible. Believe he can overcome sin. 
and you'll be fruitful. You will run smack dab into those things God has prepared for you. Look at Philippians chapter two, just flip this page real quick. Verse 12, so then my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, not, not only in my presence only, but not, now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. People make a great mistake, they only read that verse, they don't read the next one, because they go, oh, I've got to work out my salvation? Look at the next one, verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work his good pleasure. Wow. The Almighty's working in you. What a statement. Me? Do you know who I am, God? Do you know the struggles that go through my mind and my heart? And yet you choose to work through me? It is a humbling thought that God would do such a thing. But this is what it means to live as Christ. Engage with people. Love them. Suffer long with one another in order to see the fruit that Christ has. Be fruitful. I think the term means to be, to be fruitful labor means to be gripped by Christ. Does he have a hold of you or is the world trying to get back a hold of you? Who has a hold of you? J.C. Ryle said this, do not glory in your own faith do not glory in your own feelings. Do not glory in your own knowledge. And do not glory in your own diligence. Glory in nothing but Christ. I love that quote. See, sometimes we think, boy, I just got to bootstraps. I got to solo bootstraps it. I just got to be better Christian. No, glory in Christ. Be it all in the Lord. And you say, Scott, I don't know how to do that. Ask him. Say, God, will you make your son glorious to me? Let me see his beauty. Let me see his person of who he is, sinless. Let me go to the cross again and again and see him hanging there for me and you judging as though he committed my sins. Let me see that beauty. Let me see my sins washed away in Jesus. Let, let me grasp that I'll never stand for those sins. I'll never be judged for those sins. Let me see that, God. And you'll be fruitful. It'll grip you. And you'll walk with him. Third, the joy of longing to be with your Savior for eternity. I love this point. The joy of longing to be with your Savior for eternity. Look at verse 23. But I am hard pressed from both directions, having a desire to depart and be with the Lord. For that is far much better is the idea of the word there. That's really true. I, I think in other words, I wrote this in my notes, oh, to see the glory of Jesus without the view through sin-stained retinas. When it's all pulled away and we see him for really who he is, oh, that joy. Paul uses the term hard press, soon echo Maya is the Greek word, and it's, Jesus used this word when the crowds were pressing in on him, when, when the woman who was bleeding touched him. He said, who, who, who touched me? And the, and the disciples said, it's crazy here, man. There's a mob going on. What do you mean, who touched you? Um, it says, pressed in. This word depart, he says depart to be with the Lord. There is a, a neat word. It is used for a ship that drops, um, it's, pulls its anchor and they throw in the boats and it lets loose from being docked and it sails off. It's used of a prisoner being freed from his chains when, he, boy, he's wrist or fine, he's no more. 
It's used of an animal that is loose from its yoke or saddles. Uh, many times pulling saddles off of horses and kicking them out in the pasture. Man, they just shake and they buck and they run through because they're loose now. They don't have to submit to me anymore. They're free. That's the idea, Paul says, oh, to depart, to be free with the Lord. Oh, I get jealous when I see people go to be with the Lord. It's a good jealousy. Our brother Ed, where's our sister Shirley? He's with the Lord. Well, he's just, oh, the beauty that he sees, the joy of that. Paul wrote in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 1, he said, for we know that if this earthly tent, this body, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Oh, that's going to be a good body. A lot better than what we have now. I have a dear friend who believes in soul sleep, meaning once you die, you just wait in the grave until the resurrection of the dead. But I think Paul just flips that around very quickly in this passage. It's not what he says. He says to, be part, to depart to be with, is to be with Christ, right? Doesn't he say that here in, in verse 23? I desire to depart and to be with Christ, not to depart and wait in the grave. Be with the Lord. And he says this all through text. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 and 8. Therefore, being always of good, being always of good uh, courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. So there's a time we're absent from the Lord. Right now, we don't stand in glory with him. For we walk by faith and not by sight. One of our hymns sings this, Ron, where it says, um, we'll no longer walk by faith. In heaven, it isn't faith anymore. He's right there. <laughs> it's going to be beautiful. Here it's faith, right, Lord? Give me strength to put my faith in you today. Oh, that'll disappear. So right now we walk by faith, not by sight. And then he says this, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. That's what we prefer, to be gone from here and to be instantly with the Lord. There's lots of passages that reaffirm this. Jesus said to the man hanging next to him at the cross, well, today you're going to go to the grave, and then I'm going to come get you later. Is that what he said? No, he said, be, uh, you're going to be in paradise with me when? Today. And, and, and there's just lots of fun stuff. You've got, you got Mount of Transfiguration, and there's Elijah and Moses there, and they know who they are. They look at him, hey, there's Elijah and Moses. Let's build some tabernacles to these guys. I mean, they recognize them. They see them. Saints around the throne. Uh, we see in Revelation 7, Revelation 21, uh, they're there worshiping the Lord. For the true believer, there's no greater hope than to be with the Lord. It's a driving motivation that this whole thing's gonna come to an end and you and I are gonna say, I have fought the good fight. I've run the race. I've kept the faith. And you're gonna run through that tape and the Lord's gonna say, enter in my good and faithful servant. This is for you. Oh. Is that, see why we need preaching? And we need time in the word today? to remind us that there's a goal and there's something we're running for. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, when we see him, we will be like him. That wrestle with sin, that battle with that seed of sinfulness that still has its residue on us and likes to get a hold of us at times, will be gone. No more. And those sin-stained retinas will fall off. The early church said this, Maranatha. Come, Lord. Come soon, Lord. Come soon. Maranatha. They would say that often. Last thought, the joy of personal missions. And we'll come back and touch on this a little later, but I just want to give you um, 
some exit thinking here. Verse 24, the joy of personal missions is that, is that there's something happening now while you wait for your heavenly home. Spurgeon said this, our great object in living is to glorify God and we mainly achieve that end by winning souls. Our great objective in living is to glorify God and we mainly achieve that through the winning of souls. So verses 24 through 26 is Paul pushing us to stay on in this life for the sake of the gospel. Look at verse 24. Yet to remain on in this flesh is more necessary for your sake. So maybe the Lord has taken home a loved one of yours and you're a little bit spiritually jealous for that. But you realize, hmm, the Lord has a plan for me. I'm to share the gospel with people. He has a job for me to do till he comes and gets you. If you're an employer, doesn't it bother you when your workers quit early? You're paying them for eight hours and they quit about six and a half through. Bug you, wouldn't it? If you're shelling out the dough. God wants you to work for him. He put people in your life for you to share the gospel with. That's what he leaves us for to do. Paul says it's necessary for your sake. Look at verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you. He's getting confidence that the Lord's not going to take him home, that he's going to get released with you all for the progress and joy of faith. He knows that God's keeping him for your progress, for your joy. Isn't that beautiful? Just like Paul was a key that God sent individuals to, he sent him to Philippi, he was a key. He was a key sent individual to Philippi. So is everyone who actively pursues Christ. You're a messenger. You're a messenger. Not a messenger for morality. You know, be good. He's checking the licks twice. Find out who's, you know. That's not what you're doing. You're a messenger for the gospel, for the Lord Jesus Christ, to give people hope, to give people joy. And then verse 26, look at this. So that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you. This is a fascinating statement. He is saying this. I know you've put a lot of confidence in me. I've been your pastor Paul to you. But here's my goal. I want you to have confidence in Christ. Everyone who works with people who come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ understand this. There's a point where they really hooked on you. They appreciate you. You've shared Christ with them. They're very dependent upon you. But as those who lead people to Christ, our goal is just a, we were just a messenger. We were one there to carry that message. But our goal is to get them confident in Christ, not confident in us. And Paul says, look, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ. That's what he wants. And that's what you and I do. Last verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. Some of you have been praying for children for years. Not in vain. Don't give up. 
praying for a spouse, praying for relatives, praying for a neighbor. Don't give up. It's not in vain. Think about the gospel. Know it. Believe the word of God to be true. Believe you can have victory over sin. You can live a life that honors Jesus in front of those people. You know that. And point them to Jesus. In conclusion, it's Christmas season. And in in a statement, Christmas is about God coming to earth to save man. That's what Christmas is about. Just a statement. I just wrote it down. I said, Christmas is about God coming to earth to save man. Can you tell somebody that? Just make that statement. You could get punched. You, you, You could be just taken as a wacko. Or they could say, what do you mean? And you can go a little farther with them and you can share what he did for you. Just try it. Grab a green flyer in the back and invite somebody to the Christmas Eve Eve service. And let them come and hear. Make a statement for Jesus this Christmas season. Father, we thank you that you have a plan for us, Lord. Some of us, you want us to go home and be with you earlier, Lord, and you want the rest of us to stay. Some you, you put through heavy trials, Lord. Whether that's health or finances or difficulties. Some of those trials, we dig our own hole, Lord, and we act sinful. We need to confess of that, Lord. But Father, the goal of what you put us through is for your glory, that we would trust you more. And we could say with Paul, to live is Christ. We're confident in the gospel. We know it. It saved our souls. So Lord, would you help us today know the gospel, be confident in it, Lord. Trust the word of God. Have victory over sin, Lord. All those things help us live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the Christmas season. Lord, we know that people get lost in arguments about, well, did Christ was really born here in March, Lord. Father, we... We just thank you that he was born. We thank you that he came, Lord. That he was on earth. That God-man lived on earth in order to die for our sins. So Lord, make this season really, truly worshipful for us as a church and as individuals, Lord. Do it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.